So I don't know who decided to choose Jeffrey Combs to portray Hubert West. Whoever did could not have picked a better person to do so. In my opinion, I believe the character of Herbert West made the movies enjoyable. When I say movies, Bride of the Reanimator and Beyond the Reanimator are great flicks as well. And believe me, the movies are, more, are far more comedic than they are scary. The adaptations of these films are inspired by H.P. Lovecraft's previous works, and there are no other contenders for this category. Greetings, all you magnificent sons of bitches. This is the Whorehound. And in this episode, I'm going to be talking about H.P. Lovecraft's The Reanimator, which was released way back in the day in 1985. The 1980s horror movies were the foundation of creating what we see today. The special effects, the pumping of the blood through a bag and tube. And yet, all the other crazy sounds, it's giving me chills just thinking about it. So, in the 1980s, directors and producers did not even have to try to impress you. They just did. They had that type of mojo where the first five minutes of the movie would grab you, and then all of a sudden you're falling down the rabbit hole of this cheesy but yet delightful horror movie. Stuart Gordon's Reanimator is a preference like that. A frankly gore horror movie that finds a rhythm and a style that make it work in a crooked, offbeat sort of way. It's charged up by the tension between the director's desire to make a good movie and his realization that Few movies about mad scientists and dead body parts are ever likely to be very good. The temptation is to take a campy approach to the material to mock it, as Paul Morrissey did in Andy Warhol's Frankenstein. Gordon resists the temptation and creates a livid, bloody, deadpan exercise in the theater of the undead. I remember seeing this film for the first time with no particular expectations except that I hoped Reanimator would be better than some other movies I have watched previously. At the end, I was somewhat surprised and reinvigorated, if not reanimated, <laughs> so, by a movie that had the audience emitting taxi whistles and wild goat cries. Interesting. In its own way, on its own terms, in its corrupt genre, this movie worked as well as any other movie in its, in its whole subgenre, so... To describe what happens is not merely to spoil the show, but to invite a repugnance that the film itself skirts because its, its makers have been shrewd enough to balance the blood and the guts with laughter. The special effects pass inspection yet are so outrageous that you can't take them seriously. Reanimator is therefore not really all that scary. I mean, although it's absolutely out of the question for the faint of heart or the impressionable youngsters, it is rather comically gross in the way that Animal House was a fraternity comedy. So essentially, the break the story down of the reanimator, a medical student returns from Austria after working in regenerative experiments with a well-known scientist who died under mysterious circumstances. Mysterious circumstances. He enrolls at Miskatonic University, where he begs to defer with his professor on issues of time and death, and eventually enlists his roommate to help him continue experiments on reanimating the dead, Herbert West being obsessed with the notion of conquering death, it isn't too long before he's revitalizing the dead cat of his roommate, which I think is the funniest scene, by the way, is the dead cat attacking Herbert West. Oh my God, I just want to think about it. I, I, almost, I almost pissed myself. I'm sorry. So, and there is the sneaking into the morgue for fresh human species. In his pursuit of knowledge, West is continually frustrated 
when his adventures with the undead result in some serious zombie mayhem. However, West's novel solution is to decapitate him, promptly reanimating his dead body and body as separate parts. Herbert is level-headed, Buddy Kane says in a moment of exasperation, It's gotta stop! The reanimator never lets up, though, as it wholeheartedly heads towards a spectacular climax of twitching entrails and pulp carnage. Believe it or not, this movie was shot in the same studios as Terminator, the first one in 1984. That's what I thought was really cool. Immediately after the sci-fi epic had finished, the two films actually have much in common. As well as sharing much of the same crew, Reanimator features a cameo by Cameron's father, the hospital patient with a bandage on his head, and boasts Arnie's body double, Peter Kent, as the first corpse to be revived. The similarity, both physically and acting style, is creepy, by the way. So, in fact, so excited was Kent about the project that Arnold Schwarzenegger himself requested a screening and subsequently loved the film so much that he personally recommended Gordon as a director for Fortress, which eventually landed Christopher Lambert for the part instead of the other dude. So, Not surprisingly, when the finished version was shown to the ratings board, with a request for an R certificate, the result was a barely stifled guffaw. But faced with the choice of making the necessary cuts and being left with a 40-minute short or risking financial calamity while opting for an unrated release, Gordon and Yuzna stood firm, unleashing their uncut masterpiece first at the Cannes Film Festival, where the critics went wild, and eventually the audiences followed suit and just went complete apeshit. I don't know. According to the story. So even in its present form, the reanimator remains a splashy hearthback to the glorious 80s love affair with all things bloody, to the point that Gordon was convinced he used more fake blood than anyone else in the history of horror. Until that is, he compared notes with Braindead's Peter Jackson. Contemplating, also, a budget reputed to be barely over $1 million, very much in keeping with the second producer, and the effects are all more impressive, although the shoestring budget with which Brett Culpepper uh, later on, had to work with resulted in a number of improvisations being made. Hamburger mints was sometimes used in place of latex, a lack of pubic prosthetics, used to cover up naked zombie genitals. I'm sorry if you're watching this. This is my script. <laughs> I got listeners in the group watching this live, by the way. So if you're out here listening to this stuff, maybe you can hop in with these guys in the group. So... But if there's one person who suffered most from the measly effects budget, it was David Gale, as Herbert West's enemy, Dr. Hill, the actor who had to, who had to hit around the head with a rubber shovel made from cheap variant that had set far too hard, and was also forced to wear a hideous wig for the role during the whole shoot that matched the hair on his fake head. This was considerably cheaper than reproducing the color of his red bonnet. I can see that happening. No wonder the film is now dedicated to his memory. So, there's more than a touch of Lovecraft to the origin story, the lonely creator consulting an ancient forgotten text for inspiration. But the film, which began life as a proposed TV series, doesn't bear that close of a resemblance to its source material. Starting with its contemporary setting, Gordon and his co-writers, Dennis Paoli and William Norris, keep familiar Lovecraft elements like Miskatonic University and Arkham, Massachusetts, but ground the story in an unstable world of modern academia. For all the blood and guts visited upon its characters, the backstabbing of university politics provides its own sense of peril. 
Dan, played play by Bruce Abbott, is an earnest med student dating Megan, played by Barbara Crampton, <laughs> the daughter of the old-fashioned Dean Halsey, played by Robert Sampson. If the Dean knew that they were sleeping together, it would put his career in jeopardy. Oh, no shit. So, in addition to earning the displeasure of Dr. Hill, a powerful researcher who keeps Miskatonic medical and grant money, that Hill has his own designs on Megan that doesn't help either, so... Into this already tense situation entered Herbert West, a brilliant mad young scientist responsible for his mentor's ill-fated rejuvenation in the opening scene. West scoffs at Hill's notion that the brain cannot be revived once a 6-12 to 12 minute time span has elapsed after death, snapping his pencil in half during a lecture to express his displeasure. West makes Dan uncomfortable. He makes everyone uncomfortable. But Dan also has to pay the rent, so he takes Wes in as a roommate and gets drawn reluctantly into his own basement experiments, attempts to raise the dead using injections of glowing green liquid. As Wes relentlessly pursues his project, chaos mounts around him. Chaos, his single-minded focus, does not allow him to see. Sure, an experiment in a morgue that ends with Dean Halsey's resurrection as a zombie-like shell of his former self could yield better results. But it did yield results, just not the ones that he wanted. <laughs> so, and while it's not ideal that Wes has to decapitate Hill and do battle with his physically controlled torso, it does prove his theory. Combs' deadpan performance gives the film an ideal center. As Wes, he never acknowledges the grotesqueness or absurdity of the situations he creates. He just passes on, undaunted, and with contempt for anyone who gets in his way. Like a mad scientist, I guess. They fit right in. So Gordon learned his new profession on the job, drawing inspiration from his favorite horror films and pairing those influences with venerable theater tricks. The devices used to make Hill's head appear to, to live on after it's been separated from his body wouldn't be out of place on the Victorian stage. They're transparent, but they work. In part because the film's effects, even the obviously cheap ones, are so physically present and in part because the film's mix of humor and horror makes the ridiculous and disgusting look like they belong side by side. Twinsies! Of course, no discussion of Reanimators is complete without mentioning its infamous head sequence, where Barbara Cramden gets some from a severed head. Wow. Anyway. But while in creating the world's first visual pun, <laughs> so, Gord established himself as a hot new talent, Others, fired, um, they feared less favorably. Gail's wife stormed out of screaming, willing, David, how could you? And Crampton, who landed the part with her predecessor's mother, read the script and forbade her daughter from playing it. Spent the next few years confiscating stacks of smutty stills from excitable fans at horror conventions. She's been a mom. What do you expect? So this, after all, is the effect of the film that has on audiences worldwide. Infecting them with its Katie combination of unashamed borrowing. Well, look at for Polanski's shots lifted straight from Rosemary's Baby, and the score that may have well been Bernard Herman turning in his grave. A simplistic storyline, a hypnotism subplot was eventually cut. That I probably would love to see. And yet, breathtaking originality. Not least one, Jim Belushi of Chicago, Illinois, who to this day occasionally rings. The director in the early hours of the morning simply uttering his favorite line, Wes, 
You bastard! Anyway, if you all see the movie, you know what I'm talking about. All the action in the reanimator goes to paraphrase Gleiberman, father from most anyone can imagine. The quality forced in it into play the theaters without MPE rating. A longer or lesser R-rated cut was later created for video chains who would not stock unrated movies, and yet it found an audience there. It found even bigger audiences on VHS and cable, sneaking into homes and roping in viewers who would not ordinarily watch this kind of transgressive movie, but found themselves unable to look away, like me. Even from the image of a decapitated head of a once-respectable professor attempting to violate a woman. Gordon takes viewers to the edge of their tolerance, only to show them there's no edge at all. And then he goes just a little bit further. It's as subversive in its own way as is politicized sex and drugs field take on Peter Pan. Pretty much. So the script might as well read, and then the audience almost nods. <laughs> so, closing thoughts about The Reanimator. One of my favorite films of all time. Could not have been done better. They could not have picked a better crew for this film. I mean, Jeffrey Combs did just an amazing job playing Herbert West. Um, there is one thing that I've learned from this movie, and that is the films cannot be funny and scary at the same time. The laughter is the antidote to fear. You could build tension and then relieve it with laughter and then crank it up again. But if you do both at the same time, they cancel each other out. It's simply the best, funniest horror picture to come along in ages. And that's my take on it, big time. So, the movie is best known for its bold handling of sex, violence, and humor. It hits the right note of cleverness without even seeing smug or self-satisfied. But the main reason it works as well as it does that screenwriter Dennis Paoli has such an affection for all the principal characters. Unafraid of creating empathy for not only Kane whose idealism clouds his judgment of West's experiments, but also his blonde girlfriend, Megan, who, before being abused as a sex toy for the disembodied head, is actually the movie's sensible, sure-footed voice of reason. Crampton and Abbott are fresh-faced and likable good guys, but the movie belongs to the compulsive steam-stealer, Jeffrey Combs. Like Bruce Campbell in Evil Dead series, Combs gives such an iconic, self-righteous, half-nebbish, half-zealot performance as the title character that they redefine the mad scientist for a new generation of horror fans. It is certainly a twist of gore and hilarious comedy that one simply amps up the horror unless the comedy take care of itself. So my favorite line in the entire film is when Herbert asks Dan, what do you want me to do with it? <laughs> Leave a message, you know, cat dead details later. <laughs> so, Essentially, it's actually printing out the movie, which is kind of cool. So that's all I got, folks, for the movie Reanimator, one of H.P. Lovecraft's inspired films, one of the best of all time. If you haven't seen it, please go watch it, and then watch Bride of the Reanimator, and then Beyond the Reanimator. Those three films are just simply the best. I'm sorry, and the the way they take on H.P. Lovecraft's vision for these films is just fantastically done. And then you got From Beyond, then you got The Beyond, and all these other films done by H.P. Lovecraft, and it all had Jeffrey Combs in it, which is really nice. So that's all I got, folks. Thank you for listening. Um, I, I'm very happy that you're listening to my podcast, that I'm on nine different platforms, and you continue to listen and support. I cannot be 
more eternally grateful than that. So please continue to subscribe and listen on Anchor FM, Breaker Audio, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Spotify. Thank you all and have a good evening.